So do uh, any of you guys know uh, that saying, it goes, hindsight is 20-20? Right? Anybody know that saying? Am I the only one that knows that saying? Put up your hands if you know what I'm talking about. Hindsight is 20-20. Okay? I don't know about you, but uh, I think about that all the time. And really that uh, saying means that when you look back at the past, you know, your past mistakes or past events or past relationships or whatever that may be, right? You think back and you're like, well, now I know what to do in that situation. I know what decision I should have made. I know I probably should have gone that way instead of that way. I probably shouldn't have dated that guy, you know? And, and you think like that because you know now, right? You know how the outcome uh, came about. You know what happened in whatever that situation is. And you just come to this knowledge of what came to pass. And back then, maybe you didn't have the knowledge. Maybe you didn't have the experience. Maybe you didn't have um, the wisdom to make the right decision. But now you're like, okay, well, now I know. I wish I could go and do that again because I'd probably make a better decision. Like thinking about this phrase, God kind of reminded me as I was prepping this message why, why I do young adult ministry. And that was because in my 20s, in my early 20s, uh, probably till my mid-20s, somewhere around there, I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of decisions that were bad in all sorts of ways. But knowing what I know now, God's kind of given me this calling to you guys as a young adult community, as your pastor, to speak into your lives so that you don't have to make similar decisions or similar mistakes that I made going through my 20s. Like I'm going to be 31 uh, next month, which is kind of crazy for me. Uh, but it really, like over the last year of being 30, I've been in this spot where I'm like, wow. Like I look, I have these conversations with some young adults and I almost, and don't get me wrong, I don't know all the answers, right? I, I, I'm here to guide you, to pray with you. And at least I can do that and pray into whatever situation you're going through. But a lot of times when a young adult comes up to me, like I probably had a similar experience and I know exactly what to tell them in some sense because I've gone through it myself. I've had my doubts when it's come to Christianity, when it comes to following Jesus. But what I love about it is God doesn't just redeem you as a person and forgives you of your sin. He redeems your past mistakes, your past experiences, those bad decisions, those regrets. And I, I think I said this last time, but there, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, there's, there's no regrets in your life. And that's why I love, because now I have this opportunity uh, to share with you guys, to share my life, to share what Jesus uh, did. And as we walk into this series, This is Jesus, what we're going to see is just Jesus interacting with normal people like myself. Normal, everyday people that have questions about who he is, what he's doing, if he's actually the son of God. And what I love about this book, uh, John, written by John, is that all, throughout all these encounters, there's this one purpose that he's going after as he's communicating, telling you story after story after story. And he, he wraps it up. He tells you the purpose of the book in uh, chapter 20 of 31. And he says this, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this is the purpose of him writing all these stories, this whole book, this biography in some sense of uh, Jesus' life. He says this, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So no matter where you're at, when it comes to following Jesus, if you're an atheist, if you're just exploring Christianity, I'm not sure how any of you or every one of you got here, but whatever your deal is, this book's for you. This book's for me. Because what John wants to do is he wants to tell you about Jesus in a way that you can interact with the story, interact with the text. Because he really believes deep down in his heart that this Jesus is alive. That if you experience him for yourself, you'll come to believe in him. And not only that, he will totally transform your life. He'll totally transform your life in a way where you actually, for the first time, live this life the way it's meant to be lived, the way that it was created to be lived. And so the story that we're going to tackle tonight is found in John 4. And it's this uh, pretty famous story, actually. And you could turn there with me. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It's going to be on uh, the screen. And uh, I really want you... As I'm reading this story, you're going to meet this woman right away at the very start of the story. I want you, as we read this story, to put you, this is kind of weird, you in the place of that woman. So pretend that you are the woman in this story. And I tried that for myself as I was reading this story this past week. And it totally changed the way that I was listening and hearing Jesus' words. Because I was listening to them in a way that as if he was speaking them to myself as if I was there back here in this Jewish culture and Jesus was speaking these words to me and he'll hit you in this new way. So I'm gonna read the story out for all of us. We're gonna pray. Uh, I'm gonna make some observations. Uh, my, my outline, it's very simple tonight, guys. Uh, it's, I, I got, as I was praying into this, my outline, I got three little sayings. I don't even know if they're sayings. They're not even full sentences. <laughs> they're this. Um, and, I, and this is what I wanna talk to you about tonight. The thirst the water, and the life. And now as I even say that, I might not even get to the life because of the time, but the thirst, the water, and the life. So with that, John 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Um, so right here, right off the bat, you need to understand that this is a very interesting situation that Jesus walks into. Okay, first and foremost, if we look back a verse, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, uh, John writes, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's noon, it's midday, it's super hot. Jesus shows up and all of a sudden he, he starts talking to the Samaritan woman. And this is a reaction. He says, the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. So I need to set this up for you guys so you track with me and you understand what's going on here, okay? Jews and Samaritans, they didn't interact whatsoever, okay? They were considered the outcasts. Samaritans were considered the outcasts. And Jesus, first and foremost, to be this guy, this rabbi, this teacher, like he's claiming to be the son of God, this religious person, to come into this scene, to come to this well, to sit down and start talking to this Samaritan woman like as if it's not a thing. Like, it's crazy here. He's breaking social boundaries, cultural boundaries, things that you don't do back in this culture. First and foremost, she's a woman. And usually in that culture, as a man, uh, it's, very, it's a very conservative culture. So you're not even 
caught dead with a woman talking to them by themselves in, in an isolated place. You just don't do that. It was just like a different culture back then. So she's surprised that Jesus is talking uh, to her in this direct way, asking her for a drink. And get that, for a drink. And she's like, you're asking me for a drink? Like these Jews, they didn't like Samaritans so much that to take a drink from that same cup that she was about to drink from or that same bucket that she put into that well to scoop out that water would in a way make him unclean, if you will. Dirty. You know, I, I, right away, I, I understood this. I'm a little OCD. And so I don't even like it when my wife drinks from my same cup. Like straight up, seriously, we're out for dinner. And for some reason, she always needs to drink from my drink. You know, she orders water, I order Coke, whatever it may be. She has to drink from my drink. And even my kids do it. And I, I don't like it because like, you know, the germs get in it. And you guys could just really pray for me because I'm going to Haiti next week. And uh, my OCD really comes out when I'm there. And God really works on my heart when I'm there too. Uh, but anyways, like I, I get what he's saying here, John. He's like just painting this picture that... It's unclean for Jesus to take a sip from this bucket, this cup, whatever she has there to give him water. And so you need to get that. He's breaking social norms. And this is what I love about Jesus. And this is what I love about Christianity, okay? Jesus does things the way that he wants to do things because he's God. You can't tell him what he can't and can't do. And that's what Christianity often does. It just blows up human frameworks, frameworks that say like, no, it, it can only work this way. Or no, God can't do that. Or God can't reach that person. Oh no, there's no way that God can move on that person's heart because he's just too far from God. You know, they're partying, they're drinking, they're doing whatever. There's no way that they're going to have any interest in God. That, you got to see this person like that, this Samaritan woman. In this culture, she'd be far gone and they're like, there's no way that anybody, especially this woman, could have a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus goes after her. This is not an accident. Jesus doesn't stumble onto this well and is like, oh, like I love how John says he's tired, where it just really speaks to his humanity. Yeah, Jesus was fully God, but sometimes we forget that he is also fully human. And he thirsts. He's thirsty. He's looking for a Gatorade. And this woman shows up and he's like, give me a drink. And I love this because it just speaks to the heart of God. Right here. He'll cross social boundaries. He'll cross whatever obstacle is in front of him to reach somebody. To tell them about what he came to do. To share his love with them. Do you think like that? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus in this place tonight, do you think like that? Do you go after people like that? Thinking just one moment, one encounter like this in broad daylight, it's going to totally change your life. Sorry, spoiler alert. That's the ending. But anyways, do you think like that? Do you live your life like that? Do you get up in the morning and go like, okay, hey, maybe this person that I'm going to sit next to in the bus, like if I just share the love of God with them, share the gospel, the good news, it could totally change their life. That's a possibility. Anyways, I went off on that for too long. Go back to verse uh, 10. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, 
that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Important question. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I'm going to pray. I feel like I've already started preaching, but (laughs) I'm going to pray and we're going to get into this for the next 17 minutes. God, the few words that you gave me, I pray that you would take them and you would multiply them and that you would feed us in this way that it just nourishes our soul. It speaks right into the situation that we're at right now, the struggle that we're in right now, the depression that we're facing right now the loneliness that we're struggling with right now. I pray that you meet these young adults where they're at. Like this woman, I pray that you would meet them in a real way. That some of them in this room would come to know this gift that you're talking about, this living water. That some of them would drink from that fountain tonight and be refreshed. Because God, I know from experience that this journey is long. It takes perseverance. It takes faith. And like Jesus, it's easy to get weary. It's easy to get tired. It's easy to give up. It's easy to ask the question of what's, what's the point of all of this? But tonight, God, I pray that you would speak hope into those situations. That a piece of the gospel will just be revealed to them in such a fresh way that they would leave this place on fire for you. And those in this room that are lost, God, like this woman tonight, I pray that you would just encounter them in a real way even if they expected to encounter you or not tonight. Holy Spirit, come. Anoint my words, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So reading this story, I know a lot of us in, this, in our culture, in Western culture, we haven't really experienced thirst before, right? Like real thirst, like you're dying if you don't get a drink. Like I, there's one time that I feel like I've actually experienced like something close to this, maybe what Jesus is experiencing right here in this story, uh, was back in grade 10. And uh, we went to this camp. It was called Strathcona or something like that. Every grade 10 class went there. I kind of forget what, if it was part of science class or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, I don't know what was up with this camp, but they like barely fed you. So you're like hungry all the time. You're thirsty all the time. It was the worst. And they took you on this hike. And uh, my wife and me were actually in the same group. I don't know if she remembers this. 
And uh, we were hiking, and I was so hungry, they gave us like this granola bar. And I remember just like tearing through that granola bar and wondering if there was anything else. And uh, I think I drank all my water at that point, and I was so hungry, and I was so thirsty. And finally, we made camp. You know, they take you out into the wilderness to teach you how to like tent and camp and all that kind of stuff, because we're all city people, right? And uh, uh, we're doing that. And the guy, this Australian dude, who's our leader, starts making dinner. And uh, he whips out uh, a can of tuna fish. And he starts opening the can of tuna fish, starts preparing like the salad. He gets some of us to like chop the vegetables up and stuff like that. And this is one of those canby trips that whatever you take in, you trek back out. Has anybody been on one of those camping trips before? Right? You take everything out with you. You don't leave, leave a trace uh, of you being there, right? And so uh, with that, he didn't want to pour the tuna fish juice out. You know what I'm talking about? That juice at the bottom of the can? <laughs> Some of you know where the story's going. <laughs> I was so thirsty. Yeah, that's right. I, I put up my hand, and I don't think I was the only one. And I drank that tuna fish juice, and... At that moment, looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020. I was like, what? What am I doing? But back then, I still remember that, like, that hit the spot in some weird way. <laughs> but that's as close as I got to ever being thirsty like this. But, but right away in this story, what you would notice, if, like, we're going to skip around a little bit, um, Jesus is speaking to this woman's thirst or his thirst that he starts off with. And this whole idea of like, hey, you thirsty, I'm thirsty. But, you know, if you drink this water, you're going to get thirsty again. But I got water that if you take a slip, you'll never be thirsty again. Like and this woman's confused. I don't know about you, but at first I was even confused. And the, the, the thing about John is there's so many layers to these stories. So if you go back after this and start picking apart the story, you'll probably find other things in there. And what Jesus is doing right now in, this, in these verses, I'm going to read them out for you one more time. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is speaking to a felt need that everybody in this culture would have understood. Thirst. Back then in this culture, if you had a well, if you had access to water, was the difference between you living and dying, literally. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to paint a picture to the Samaritan woman. He's trying to get his message across to her in a way that she would understand. And he's speaking of two different realities. He's speaking of the physical reality, and he's also speaking about the spiritual reality. I'm not sure when it comes to that belief where you're at, uh, but, that, but that's what I love about our culture, right? For some reason, lots of people, they're not religious, but they're spiritual. We all know that there, there must be something more to what we see, feel, touch, and hear. There must be something more to this world. And that's what he's speaking to here. He's using a, a physical metaphor in some sense to speak to a spiritual need. And that is of, of thirst, of, de of desire. See, I love how Jesus goes about evangelizing to this woman. He doesn't come out and be like, hey, you're a sinner. No, he first speaks to a felt need that we all have, and that's desire. You know, this longing in our soul. We all have it. And we all try to fulfill it in different ways. 
For some of us in this room, that might be going after a career that makes you a lot of money or fame or a relationship or getting married or just living out and working till you're 60 so you can retire, buy a house, do all those types of things and just have vacation and go on vacation all the time to Mexico, I don't know. Like some of you, that's your goal. That's the desire that's motivating you. That's what you're living out right now in the here and the now. And that's what Jesus is speaking to in this woman's situation. She, she has this desire. She doesn't know it yet, but she has this desire. And Jesus is gonna pinpoint how she's fulfilling it. And it, it's in the wrong way. But here's the thing about desire. The desires that we have, the desires that God has put inside of us, they're good things. They're actually supposed to direct us toward him. And that's what Jesus is getting at as he's saying this, that I have water to give you that will, that will quench that thirst, that you'll never be thirsty again. But the problem is we don't understand, some of us don't understand that in order to fulfill that desire, we need to find that fulfillment in Jesus, in this gift that he's giving this woman, that he's talking about, that, hey, if you knew the gift of God that is right in front of you in some sense, and he's talking about himself, he's talking about his grace that has come into this picture as he's reached over this social boundary to come and interact with this woman. But he's talking about this living water, and we're going to get to that in a second. But he's speaking to this thirst that this woman has. And as I was thinking about this idea, I felt like a lot of us in this room that call ourselves Christians, and I want to speak to, to you for a second, to us for a second. We know this gift. We've experienced this gift. But how easily do we go on to other things to fulfill that desire that we know can only be satisfied in Jesus? I was convicted of this uh, this past week, not even opening this book up and <laughs> listening to this or reading this passage out. And uh, me and Dan Gillis were actually uh, praying uh, into the collective tonight and praying and asking and seeking uh, to see what God wanted to do tonight. And the whole time, I couldn't get off my mind. Uh, I needed to get a new computer. I needed to get a replacement computer, I thought. And the whole time I was thinking about what kind of computer I wanted to get, <laughs> the whole time that we were praying, okay? And... <laughs> At the end of our prayer time, I was like, okay, Dan, I got to confess. <laughs> I wasn't really praying. I was just thinking about the computer that I wanted to get uh, at the end of uh, today, right? Probably right after that meeting that I had with him. And I love what Dan said to me and, and it really ministered to me because I never thought about it in this way. He's like, Ben, I know exactly what to pray for you. He got up, he put his hand on my shoulder and he was like, Ben, or he's like, God, he doesn't, he doesn't pray to me. <laughs> He's like, God, thank you for giving Ben this good desire. Desire for new things. God, I pray that you would help Ben just redirect this desire in the right way, the way that you created desire to function, that he would crave new things when it comes to seeing the kingdom unfold in this land, in the lower mainland, in his ministry. And as he was saying those words to me, I was convicted that, this desire that I had that should have led me and pointed me to tap into this living water, to tap into Jesus in some sense, in some way. I was following blindly to direct me, to preoccupy my, with my time with things that wouldn't satisfy that desire. 
How many of us in, that, in this room tonight are in a similar situation? Like, I don't know what your thing is that you're thinking about right now as I'm talking. The thing that you're hoping for, the thing that you're going after, the thing that you're expending your energy uh, towards, thinking for a second that if you got that thing, whatever that thing is, if you got that position, if you got that job, if you got that girl, that it would fulfill you in some sense. It would satisfy. Let Jesus's words to you speak into your situation. You'll still be thirsty. Meaning you won't be satisfied. Even if you get that thing. Like for me, for the longest time, it was just, you know, moving through ministry positions and getting promotions or growing my ministry. And the thing is that every time I hit that goal, whatever it would be, I realized that thing never satisfied. Sure, it was a good thing. It was a godly desire in some sense, but I was missing the point. The point of doing ministry, of growing, was sharing the gospel, but growing closer to Jesus as I did that. So as I grew closer to Jesus, that he would be, be, uh, be able to shine through me more brightly each and every day. But I, I missed that point of that. It was about relationship. And th that's what Jesus is getting to here. And he moves on. And he keeps talking about uh, his, her desires and her longing. And uh, he pinpoints it in a second. But she wants this all of a sudden. She gets intrigued so much. She's curious of what this thing is, this water. But here's the thing. She misses the point totally. She's like, God, give me this water. She says, Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And this is what happens to us. A lot of us, when it comes to following Jesus, we miss the point totally. We just want a relationship with God. We just want this living water. We just want this spirit. That's what he's talking about. The spirit of God living inside of us, working through us so that we can use him to fulfill whatever our goal was. Whatever that desire is that you just thought of in this room as I was talking about desires, so that we could go after that thing, so we can be empowered, that we could be strengthened to get that thing. What is she doing? What are we doing? We're just thinking at a physical level. And Jesus starts speaking into that in this beautiful way. So what, what is this water that he's talking about? He, he alludes to it in uh, his first interaction and Jesus answered her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, living water. That's exactly what it is, living water. It's active, it's moving. He's, this is a metaphor that John uses throughout the book for the spirit of God, for the Holy Spirit. And not only that, this is the spirit that comes inside of you, that transforms you, that moves you into a relationship with Jesus. That's what he's talking about. This living water, and it's, it's a beautiful picture when he talks about it in this way. It's not this thing that just comes inside of you and just, uh, just, just stays there. It's active, it moves, it activates you. Jesus is not just informing her about the kingdom so that she wouldn't do anything about it, that she would just be saved and then go to a safe place and just live out her life. No, Jesus is informing her about, her king, about the kingdom of God and how it works, this living water, so that it could go inside of her, transform her, and then activate to go, go forth into her city, into Samaria, 
to tell more people about this living water, to tell more people about the satisfaction that she received and experienced for herself. And as he talks about this water, I want you to notice something. He says that it's a gift. This is the gospel right here. It's a gift. She's like, okay, well, how are you going to get this water? You don't have a bucket. You don't have like a rope. You don't have anything. How are you going to get into this well and get this water? She's still thinking at a physical level, but she's thinking uh, we all uh, think when it comes to the things of God that we somehow have to work to get it, to grasp it. But it's a gift. You don't have to do anything for it. God's there here offering it to you freely. That's grace. It's given to this woman who's pictured here as an outcast so that you, John wants to get into your head that she totally doesn't deserve it. There's nothing in this culture that would have painted a picture to any of these people that were reading this story that she deserved it in any way. This gift of God, this grace, this relationship. Because he wants you to understand how incredible God's grace is. That when you receive it, when you allow it to take hold of your life, your heart, it totally transforms you. And it's living in a way that it's constantly changing you from the inside out. That no matter what happens, that living water, it doesn't die out. If you look at it in the, in the original language, it actually means a spring. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's like this spring of water that is the inside of you that bursts forward, that pours out continuously. So get this. So some of you in this room tonight might be discouraged because you're like, okay, sure, I've given my life to Jesus, but nothing's really changed. The thing is, it, it takes time. God's working in you slowly. And sure, you might still be struggling with some sins. I'll tell you straight up, when I became a Christian and when I actually became a Christian for the first time, my life actually didn't look super different right off the bat. Like a couple months into it, we, I was still living my old life. But here's the thing. I was living my old life in a way where I was like, these things don't satisfy anymore. Like going to the club on the weekend and hanging out with my friends, it's, it's not the same experience anymore. Like, what am I doing here? Like all those things that I used to do before Jesus, like I would look at them in a new way, in a new light. But the thing was that when, that, when I made that mistake, when I stumbled into that sin again, it didn't stop this water from flowing. It didn't stop God's favor, his spirit from working inside of me. It didn't somehow make me unrighteous again. You got to get this. No, I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm looked at as perfect because of what Jesus did on the cross for my, my sins. He took them all away, past, present, and future. So now that when God looks at me, when God looks at me, even in my most worst moment, whatever that sin may be, whatever that mistake may be, think about it right now in this moment. When I am doing that, he looks down at me and he sees me as righteous. He sees me as his son in whom he's well pleased. 
That's how ridiculous this grace is that Jesus is talking about in this story that he's offering to this woman. This woman. That's how grace works. See, throughout this story, what we're seeing right here is a picture of God's heart, a picture of God's character. See, the way that Jesus interacts with this woman is beautiful because first of all, he's showing that God loves those who are considered outcasts in a normal culture. God shows grace to the most unfavorable. God pursues us with his love, even when we're not pursuing him, when we're going after all the wrong things. This is the heart and the character of God right here. Let that just blow your mind for a second. Let that move you to a place of gratitude. Let that move you to a place of worship. Tonight, let, for some of you in this room, let that move you to a place where you question what you're going at for satisfaction in this life. See, I'm gonna wrap up. When Jesus talks about this eternal life, like he goes on, he talks about this water, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, as we just talked about, welling up to eternal life. That doesn't mean just life going on forever. Yes, it means that, but it also means life when it comes to a sense of a quality of life, a quality of life that starts now and goes on for eternity. Think about that, a quality of life. Like there's a certain way that God has designed and created this life to be lived. And you need to understand when you live your life apart from God, outside of relationship with God, you're not living this life the way that it was meant to be lived. So obviously things are gonna grade up against you. Desires are not gonna be met. And sure, that's not all solved when you come into a relationship with God, but all of a sudden your life is infused with hope no matter what the circumstance. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's what he's talking about right here. And if you just think about it for a second, all these desires, all these things that we're going after in our life, lots of them, I would argue probably most of them, are we think that once we get that thing, it actually would improve the quality of life that we're living right? That's in some sense why we're going after that thing. And Jesus is speaking right into that felt need that we all have as humanity. And he's saying that if you want that quality of life that you're going after, that you're striving after, that you're working after, I'm here offering it to you freely. Take it. Receive it. She's like, yeah, I want this water. But here's where I want to end. As soon as she says that, Jesus goes into this whole thing. And, and Jesus said to her, go call your husband. In verse 16, come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. All the disciples, if they were there, they go, dang, Jesus, you just threw down. But he just went out and he goes, Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you know, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman's like, oh, he, he, he's, he knows, he knows what's going on. And right away, she tries to change the subject. Has anybody been there, like in a conversation, when the person, like you're, you're getting some counseling or some advice from a friend, 
And they were like, okay, this is actually your problem. And in the back of your head, you knew that that was your problem, but you just want to like change the subject. You're like, well, you know what? I'm not sure about that. Uh, maybe you could be right. And you're kind of like, dang it, I should go think about that later and maybe journal about that. I don't know, whatever you do. Anyways, right? And that's this moment right here. And I love how she tries to like flip the script on Jesus. She right, right away brings up this like theological issue, right? She's like, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, like meaning like, okay, you're smarter than I thought. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is this place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe the hour is coming. All to say this, okay, she, she's like, hey, well, what about this theological issue? Right, whatever it is, in her day, it was like where you would worship. It Was it on this mountain or that mountain? In our day, it'd be like, I don't know, can women be pastors? I don't know. Or can, can you be gay and a Christian? I don't know what that theological issue is. But what she's trying to do, listen to this. In an intellectual way, she's trying to block her. Now, how do I want to say this? What she wants to do is she's trying to make up an excuse for not getting in to the sin that Jesus just called out, to not dealing with it, to not being like, okay, let me be honest with you for a second. That is something I struggle with. And this is what he was talking to earlier, her desire, right? She, she had a good desire. It was just pointing in the wrong direction. And that was to be in a relationship. But what she was doing, she was looking for acceptance. She was looking for love. She was looking for all these things, maybe even identity in all the wrong places. And she was just bouncing around from guy to guy to guy to guy. And Jesus shows up knowing that that's what she was struggling with, knowing that that was her desire that she was going after that was just pointed in the wrong direction. And was like, hey, I could fulfill that desire in a real way. I'm offering you a relationship with me. But she almost missed it. Why? Because she didn't want to deal with her sin. And as I end tonight, I, I want to encourage you, don't let your sin and you acknowledging it and you repenting of it and you deciding right here, right now in this place tonight that you're going to strive to kill that sin in your life. Let you miss out on receiving this gift of grace from entering into this relationship with Jesus. See, because she had this really good understanding at an intellectual level about worship and Jewish culture and all these religious things. But get that, that doesn't get you into heaven. No, what gets you into heaven, what it gets you into the kingdom of God, a better way to say it, what gets you to a relationship with God is you acknowledging that you're a sinner, that Jesus had to come and live a perfect life for you in your place, die on the cross for your sins, come back to life, defeating sin in the grave, so that when you repent of your sins and take on what Jesus did for you as a gift of grace, then only can you have a relationship with him. I want to pray for you guys tonight because as I was coming here, you know what? I really didn't want to preach another sermon to you guys. Seriously, I, I really did not want to. And you can tell I'm a little jacked up right now. It might be because I drank half a Red Bull. I don't know. 
But that's because I, I know a lot of you guys, I was talking to our crew as we were praying, a lot of you, most of you in this room, and you know, if you're exploring Christianity, that's great. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad. Come and say hi to me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to try to answer some of your questions, be it theological or just spiritual in general, whatever. But I know a lot of you, you, you show up on Sunday, you show up here at the collective, and you understand this stuff. But not only has it affected your life, really, in a way that as, like, someone would look at you and be like, you're totally changed. But you're not doing what this woman does a couple verses later, where that she goes into this city, she goes into this town, and she just starts telling everybody about this guy who knew everything about her. Get that, side note. You know you're a Christian, when Jesus calls out your sin, and he does it in a way not to condemn, but to convict so that you can move past that sin. When Jesus calls out your sin, and you're okay about it, you just go around and tell people about how Jesus saved you from that sin, whatever it may be. For me, some of you guys know my story. It was uh, my addiction to porn that I struggled with for a long time that Jesus saved me from that Jesus totally transformed my life when I surrendered that sin to him and I asked him to just kill it. See, things like that, they, they won't embarrass you. You don't mind talking about it because you just understand how good God is and how powerful he is and what he saved you from that you absolutely have to tell somebody else so that they can get that into their life so that they themselves can experience him for, for themselves. And so as I was thinking about driving here, I just want God to work on your guys' hearts because I feel some of us have, have just grown hard. Our hearts have grown hard to the spirit of God. We're just too comfortable here in the Pacific Northwest, sipping on our lattes, rolling in, in our Patagonia. Like seriously, because I don't know about you, but I want, God, I want to see God move in this city. I want to see God move through you guys. Because again, as I said earlier, it's not about Jesus or God just downloading all this information about the kingdom. No, he's downloading this information about the kingdom so it could transform you, so it could work its way through you to reach the city around you. You guys got to get more excited about that. <laughs> do you understand the potential in this room? Do you understand what God can do in your life and through your life this week, tomorrow, this weekend? Some of you just got to wake up. And I know a talk can't do it, but God can do it through his spirit. So I want to pray that that happens tonight. So can you guys stand with me? I want to pray for you. And tonight, as I was praying into this, as I was praying with one of my buddies who lives across the world right now, he gave me this word that's so familiar. And he's like, God wants to move and God wants to work in this community, but it's going to take a repositioning of hearts tonight. That's what he said. It's going to take total surrender. 
that means dealing with that nitty-gritty sin that you've been struggling with for years and years and years, be it an addiction, be it an attitude, be it bitterness, be it resentment, be it unforgiveness. You know what it is. Jesus right now, in the gentle way that he does, he's convicting you of it through his spirit. But at the same time, he doesn't want you to stay in that place of conviction. He wants to pour his love into your heart through his spirit so that he can heal that thing, so that he can remove that thing, that thing that he already removed when he went to the cross for that sin, for every sin that you're ever gonna commit. Jesus knows, just like he knew what the Samaritan woman was dealing with. He knows, so why are you hiding? Why aren't you dealing with it? Why are you still dragging it along in your life? Let go of it tonight. Sure, it's gonna be painful, but it's just gonna be painful for a moment. God can take that thing, redeem it, and use it to bring other people into his kingdom. The question is, are you gonna swallow your pride and surrender it to him? So Father, I pray that you would just go to work in our hearts tonight, God. I know even in my heart, there's things that I'm dealing with attitudes, mindsets, ways that I look at people. God, I pray that you would break down those walls. I pray that you would break down and give us sight to see those areas of our heart that are still dark, that haven't been illuminated by your spirit because we're keeping those doors shut. God, I pray tonight you're calling some of us to confess, to surrender that thing, that sin that's been plaguing us for all this time. And I pray that you would give us the grace to do that, to confess it, to maybe even someone in this room to ask for prayer, to ask for healing, whatever it may be, God. so that we can be changed from the inside out. God, I pray that you would do this for your name's sake. Amen.